listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Acts 8, and uh, we're going to be looking at that in a moment. And, and once you have it open to Acts 8, you can then close your Bible, but leave your finger in there or the connection card, like was explained earlier, that, that you were given when you came in, and you are going to write some notes down in there. Once again, encourage you to be following along, writing down notes, studying, following this up this week, and let's be people of the Word. And, uh, and so then close it, because I'm going to talk for a few moments, and then we're going to do something with the Bible closed, okay? So um, just just hang on with me for a moment here. This past week, as, as you saw in the little video there, that there were 10 of us that went to Ontario to Harvest University, the first one that they held in Canada, and it was it's a leadership uh, uh, conference uh, uh, it's filled with great preaching and teaching and worship and seminars to, to help equip um, the churches. And, and the vast majority of the people that were there were from the Canadian Harvest churches. And so it was so good to be able to take a crew um, of, of folks from Harvest Kelowna. And, and just the excitement that there is with the other Harvest churches. I mean, these guys walking around um, in, in, in the Oakville area with hundreds of people were kind of like minor rock stars, okay? Because they're like, when they found out they were from Kelowna, they were like, you're from Kelowna? We're praying for you guys. How are you guys doing? Like, we've got this family that is standing with us in prayer. Most of the people I talk to, I'll ask, how has the transition gone to the theater? You know, like, they're aware. They know what's going on. And, and so we have this, this group of people standing with us that is so encouraging. And and the strength we were reminded that so many of the teachings um, were, were focused on God's word and how primary it is in our lives. And, and, um, and, and we were reminded that Harvest Bible Fellowship, the greater umbrella of what God is doing, and he's doing some amazing things in our world and, and around the world through Harvest Bible Fellowship and, and Harvest Bible chapels um, in, in various countries and continents and, and just seeing more churches happening. Did you know they have over 100 inquiries a month coming in about wanting to plant churches to see churches happen. And, and yet they're, they're very, I mean, there's a process and, and there's a, a lot of details that sometimes they won't be able to get to some of those and start processing and, and seeing if these are possibilities for up for a year because they're just overwhelmed with, with what God is doing and God is at work because, and, and one of the things that, that I love this so much and, and if you're new here and just kind of checking out Harvest, I want you to know we're not about doing anything new. We're not looking at, at, at the latest game or fad or way to kind of grow a church. What we are doing is strengthening what we already believe in the word of God. We believe that God's word is sufficient and it is our blueprint for life, for churches, and how we are to function, how we are to proclaim his word. And so, so much of it at that conference, so much of what we're going to do here today, we're going to pack the foundation. Because when we look at our world, when we look at our society, we can see that it's drifting on us. It's drifting away. It's drifting, in a sense, out to sea, out into the deep end in so many ways. And that's not a newsflash that it's, it's getting bad out there. In fact, it's probably getting worse than it's ever been with everything that we see worldwide here with morals and ethics, what's happening even within our own nation But we also must recognize that that drift that I'm talking about, this going out to the deep end, is also happening within the church in our world, in North America, in Canada, in our city. As as we take and trying to make Christianity, trying to make this book more attractive, we've watered it down, we've softened the message, and we are not to do that. We are to uphold the word of God. 
And you can attend churches in our nation, in, in this province, in this city even, that never speak and talk about the wrath of God, that will never talk about hell. They want to talk about love, and yes, we believe ultimately God is a God of love, but if you're going to fully talk about the love of God, you have to talk about the opposite of that, which is the wrath of God. And, and the two go hand in hand. You have to understand both. And we're like, well, we don't want to make people uncomfortable. Folks, hell is uncomfortable. And it's forever. And last time I checked, forever is a long time. And they're going to be more uncomfortable for eternity. Set aside our awkwardness now and let's be bold in sharing our faith. What is it? Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. That just doesn't happen here on a Sunday. That is as we move out into the streets, into the places of influence, as we scatter. Today, church gathered. Tomorrow, church scattered throughout our city, throughout this region. And this drift is, is very real, and so we need to shore up the foundations. That's what we're going to be doing here today as we go to the Word of God. The most loving thing we can do is let people know. We, don't, we let them know that there is the wrath of God. There is hell. We, we let them know. We don't scare them into the kingdom. Yes, we talk about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy, how he's reconciled and is willing to reconcile every one of us and has done that in our own lives. We have a message to share. And I can, and I call you and I challenge you as believers here today to be men and women of the word of God. Just don't let this sit in your vehicle, carry it in from Sunday to Sunday, bring it to church. I love it. There's, there's a couple that are here today because they were in the parking lot after our service was letting out and they saw people walking out of here with their Bibles. And they're like, something must be going on. Let's check it out. And and they've checked us out and, 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 and are still here. That's awesome, you know. And, 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 but it's not just for show. It's so we can interact. So we're in the word of God so that it's a part of our lives. And, and, and I would ask you to be praying for me that I would have a stronger, a greater passion for the word of God. We are challenged that, that when we discipline ourselves in the word of God, that discipline as we stick to it becomes desire that we would not lay our heads down on the pillow at night and recap the day and realize, I didn't spend time in the word of God. That wherever it is, if it's early morning, middle of the day, late at night, that, you're, that, that, that is your best time for studying and reading the word of God, that you're doing it. Pray for me that I would have a passion in a greater way. Because that discipline moves to desire, which results in delighting ourselves in the word of God. In the truth of God. And I am praying that for this church. I'm praying that for, for you. Would you pray that for me? I challenge us, each one of us, to be spending the time in the Word of God every day. Just not random, just, you know, some scary things can happen if you just, you know, I'm going to just pick one chapter out of the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, go, you know. Do a re Bible reading plan. I think we have seven different reading plans on our website. If you don't like any of those, Google them, find another one. Oftentimes, the back of your Bibles, if you have... Study Bible of some sort, there's reading plans there. Have a, a way that you work through the Word of God. Just don't race through it. It's not a race to get through the Word of God. Let the Word of God get through you. We need God's Word because it cleanses, it influences us. If we accept cultural Christianity, we're going to be affected more than the culture, than the Christianity. Let's allow the Word of God to influence our lives, to correct us, to encourage us. 
Oh, that we would be people of the word. That his word would be a strong shelter that we run to. It would be stronger than our fears. That it would be louder than the culture voice that we hear around us. That daily we are understanding the truth of his word. May we run to it for counsel and for direction and for study and for our peace and for our joy. It's God's word that has been spoken to each one of us. And we can take the word of God. And we can hear it. We can read it. We can follow it and live it. And so what I'd like, I, I'm, I'm envisioning the future for our church. I'm envisioning the future for each one of us. And so what I'd like right now is to take, take your Bibles still, your fingers in Acts 8, is it? You haven't taken out? Okay, Acts 8. Now I want you to hold it up, hold up your device, however it is. And here is something, a declaration that I would, I, I mean, and maybe we're not here yet, but it would be something that we would work towards. Hold it up, come on, hold it up high, and let's go to this next slide here. And I'd love for us to read this together as a declaration, okay? Um, here we go. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am going where it says I will go. God's word is milk for my soul. God's word is seed for my faith. God's word is light for my path. God's word is power for my victory. God's word is freedom for my life. When I read God's word, it brings me joy. When I study God's word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's word, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's word, it brings me success. When I abide in God's word, it gives me confidence. I am a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray that that would be the prayer and the desire of our hearts here. And I pray that over my brothers and sisters here today. Whether they are a guest, whether they are, have been here since last year when we started, Father, I pray that even today we're putting down that declaration, we're, we're stamping it down, that we desire to be a church that is living by the word of God, filled with people that are desiring, not perfectly but progressively, to keep growing and learning and having our lives being formed and changed, not by culture but by your word and by your truth because your word is truth. And so even now, Father, as the children are being impacted by the word of God, as they are learning about Jesus through the Old Testament, how they learn today about Samson and, and, and how he was used of you, but also how he made some big mistakes in his life. And yet you redeem every mistake and you can use us as we are repentant and broken before you. And Father, I thank you that for each one, each person here today, you are a God who continues to breathe life and hope and, and calling us to become more and more like you. May we be transformed. May we be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, transformed by the word of God. And may that even happen now as we look at your holy, infallible, inerrant word here today. And we rejoice that we get to do this. What a privilege. We pray for those in nations that cannot gather publicly like this. They do, they are thrown into prison. We know that's happening in our world. We know that many have paid the price for your word so that we can have it in freedom here today. And so may we take it seriously. May, may our ears be open, our hearts ready to respond to your truth. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this all in your precious name. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. And... Um, as it opens here in this chapter, um, 
it opens on a very cloudy, on a very dark day, on a dark, dark day for the life of the new church in Jerusalem. The people there in that church are devastated. And, and last week as we were talking about the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in now a long list of millions who have given their lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. The people are devastated, they're confused, they're grieving. Stephen had just been martyred in just such a brutal way. I mean, they never saw it coming. Uh, he woke up that day, had no idea that he would be under that kind of an attack. And we, uh, we see just them here in this chapter, they're confused and they're grieving. How many of you have faced dark and devastating days? Dark and devastating seasons in your life? Maybe it was an accident, a diagnosis, a sudden death of a family member or a close friend. Maybe it was a financial collapse in your life. Maybe it was an announcement that came from a friend or a family member or from an employer that just left you in shock and devastated and you're wondering now, where do I go, what do I do? And you have been shaken by these events. And you think this is just awful and you are devastated and you, you lay in bed that night and you wake up the next morning and you're kind of in this weird state of kind of weirdness in your life and you just realize this is the new normal for me. What do I do now? And maybe even right now, you might even be trying to adjust to that new normal in your life because you've come through some devastation in your life. Yet, folks, I want to declare to you something this morning, and this is a truth that we can stand on, that we can, can live our lives on, and, and it, is, it is this. I encourage you to write this down. Your worst days lead to better days that bring forth the best of days. The worst days lead to better days, which bring forth the best of days. Now, now I need to make, this isn't just a blanket statement. It just isn't like this, you know, the, this power of positive thinking kind of thing that's out there in our world today. This isn't a truth just for everyone. This carries an asterisk. And so there's even put an asterisk beside it, just as you even see there. Now it's been added. This truth, this statement is exclusively for followers of Jesus Christ. And we uh, and for those that are standing under the authority of God's words, you can go to the bank on this. Your worst days can lead to better days, which will bring forth the best of days. Encourage you to have that going through your mind and to, to be thinking about that this week, even as you read in, God, in God's words, in God's word. Maybe you're in that season right now. You're in one of those worst day scenarios. Maybe it's a a worse season or a worse decade of your life and you just think it doesn't get any better. Maybe there are those that here, in fact, I know that there would be those here in a room like this here today that have even contemplated just saying, what's the point of living? Why should I even keep living? Because look at my life, look at the devastation, look at the loneliness, look at the discouragement. Folks, your worst days can lead to better days which bring forth the best of days. And we're going to learn here how the church was able to deal with one of their worst days. And we can see how we can take these truths from God's word and apply them to our lives here this morning. And so we're going to look here in, in Acts chapter 8 because we believe in the God of hope. You see, hope has a name and his name is Jesus and that's who we're going to talk about who made the difference here for this church. And so let's look at Acts chapter 8, one, starting, uh, starting in verse 1 of Acts 8. It was a bad day for the young church. It says, and Saul approved of 
his execution, talking about Stephen. And if you were here last week or you listen online, I encourage you to do that, not because we want you to listen to, to me per se. We want you to kind of be aware of what we're talking about. And so if you miss a Sunday, just to stay unified in that way, kind of know we're on the same page. If you listened or, or were here last week, chapter 7 ended with Stephen being stoned. And he became that first Christian martyr. And, and so let, let's move on with that. Verse, uh, continuing on here in verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Your worst days can lead to better days which bring forth the best of days. And this happens when we understand, encourage you to write this down, when we understand Jesus is greater than our confusion. Jesus is greater than our confusion. And it says in verse 1, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. This persecution, I mean, from reading this, it came out of nowhere. There was no signs that this was building. Yes, there was that little dust up um, in, in, in Acts chapter 5 with the religious leaders, but that seemed to kind of go away. didn't seem like a big deal. And now all of a sudden, boom, on that day it began this new persecution that took place. And it started with Stephen. And it's just like, why Stephen? I mean, he wasn't even one of the apostles. Why him? He's just an ordinary guy. I mean, here he was, just, just trying to, to, to serve, and, and, and he was speaking for Christ. Why? Why did this happen? Folks, that question, why, is a universal question that all of us have asked at one point of our lives. God, why? Why did that have to happen? But we understand that Jesus is greater than the wise. He is greater than our confusion. And so with that, we must turn to him. We must look to him in our confusion. And he brings understanding. We're going to work through a few other things and we see how we do that. As we trust him, it brings purpose and meaning and life out of the mess and the hardships. Your worst days lead to better days, which, lead, which bring forth the best of days when we understand Jesus is greater than our confusion. And then next, he is greater than our sorrow. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. I guess they lamented. They were sad. They were broken. They were like, why Stephen? They loved him. He's gone. And we, we lament. We grieve. We're sad when a loved one dies, especially in an untimely way. All death is hard. Life is precious. And when it gets taken away and, and taken away in such a brutal way, that's awful. We grieve. And, and especially when the death is so tragic and, and seems unnecessary. Over the years that I've been a pastor, I have officiated at many funerals. And some of them have been glorious celebration homecomings or homegoing, I guess, for saints who have lived faithful lives. 
but many of the funerals, especially living in a small town, a commuter town, a young town in northern Alberta for many years, presided over many devastating situations. From a little baby that passed away only a few hours after uh, coming to this, or a few hours after birth, passed away, to a heart-wrenching 10-year-old boy who was playing with his dad's gun with a friend upstairs in the bedroom, and the older friend shot and killed his younger friend. Devastating. Gut-wrenching. And there, however, in all of the funerals that I've been a part of, there is a distinct difference in the passing of a Christian and someone who is not a Christian. So different, no comparison. There is such a difference, and even though the tragic ones for those who are believers have been very real and very tragic, there is a depth of hope and peace and joy even in the midst of that grief. 1 Thessalonians 4 reminds us that we do not sorrow as those who do not have hope. For followers of Christ, death is not final. It is simply, a, we'll see you later. But for the non-believer, there's heaviness, sadness, despair because it's separation. For this young church in Jerusalem, the news would have spread like a wildfire about Stephen's death. But also the news spread, and we have it in written form, of how he died. How his death was, was so incredible as he could see Jesus and as he told the people that he could see Jesus standing there. And he died with, with a sense of peace and, and, and a strength that is not human, that comes only from God. We have to understand Jesus is greater than our confusion. Jesus is greater than our sorrow because he, wipe, he will wipe every tear from our eye. That we have heaven to look forward to. And next we understand that Jesus is greater than our suffering. Verse 3. But Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul of Tarsus, he was the Pharisee of Pharisee, was a part of this. Now something dramatic is going to happen in his life next chapter. But Saul was the poster boy of the Jewish religion. He was a fanatic. He took it seriously. And that word ravaging the church, you might want to underline the word there, ravaging, and, and, and just a further explanation, that's, that's a verb that, that describes brutal, sadistic cruelty, indignity to a human body, causing great physical harm, even death. Ravaging is a term that would be used for how an animal would take care of its prey. Even this morning driving to church, Nate and I noticed, I noticed this, this, this little lump on the golf course on Swamp Road as I was driving and I saw all these birds in there, the, the, these magpies ravaging, I think it was a deer that must have been hit on the road and went over and, and died and was ravaging, just ripping it apart, just just having a feast. That is the word that is used to describe what Saul was doing. He was ravaging the church. He was going door to door, house to house, and he was dragging off those who confessed Jesus Christ as Messiah and took them and put them into prison. He did not stop short of securing his victims for his victims their own death. And he ended up with blood on his hands, something that he would talk about later on. And yet how 
he found forgiveness and freedom in Christ. Something I noticed that in, in that statement, it says, great persecution arose. Now, one would assume that with this great persecution that, was, that arose there on that day, you would also hear the word, and great fear came across the church. But you don't read that. You don't see that that fear was, was something, I, I mean, there was no doubt some fear going on, but it wasn't the major, major attitude or, or understanding of, of the people. There was, rather than fear, they were fueled with faith and with boldness. And how do we know that? We're going to keep reading. We're going to see how, how they continued. They understood that Jesus Christ was greater than their confusion, that he would bring meaning and purpose. They understood that Jesus was greater than their sorrow. Stephen's in heaven, and one day we will be there too. And they understood that Jesus was greater than their suffering, that they could continue on even though this was happening. Because they had a God they could run to and cling to. It was in these times that no doubt they were recalling the words of Jesus. We're in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 16. May want to write that down read it this week. And he said, behold, he said to his disciples. And he says that to you and to me. He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Notice one thing. The church never, as you read it, started to organize protests about the Romans. I mean, the Romans were oppressing them in major economic ways. I mean, terrible. They weren't, they weren't tweeting about Caesar or, 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 or anything, or even the religious leaders. There weren't, you know, um, these threats and, and different things going on in protests that were happening even when the religious leaders, they went about their work. They went about the mission that they were called to do. Verse 17, it says, beware of men, for, this is in, in Matthew 10, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Think that's happening to the early church, and they're reminding, hey, Jesus talked about this. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, lead to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is why it's so important, folks, that we get under God's word because they, that's what they took seriously in their situation they were facing. Hey, remember the words of Jesus? He said this would happen. So what do we do next? <laughs> Let's go to the next town. Let's go. Let's keep going. We're not going to stop. And this is why it's so important that we understand God's word, how we get to know it and treasure it. And, and, and as we are facing trials and difficulties and suffering in our life, we go to the word of God and find that he speaks truth into it. Just, just arrived this week even is um, a great little booklet that is available at the bookstand for, for $10, a great price for God's promises for when you are hurting. And it is just straight scripture going through um, different issues in your life. You can turn to God's word, just even the table of contents. I mean, so much of this, you're confused, fearful, afraid, restless, um, suddenly out of work, lack of confidence, uh, want to give up, need patience. You need truth about answered prayer, confessing your sins. Bible promise books like this are great, but take it and, and read it then 
in your Bible. Get to know it in, your, in the Word. Read it in context. Get to know the Word of God. Get under the Word of God. Have it when the storms come. Put it as a shelter. This morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, any of you hear that wind howling and, 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 uh, and, and the rain coming down? At least that's what we are getting over on our side of the city. And you know, I was so glad I was under the shelter of my house. When the storms come and the rains fall, it's nice to be under shelter. When the storms come, the rains come, and the suffering and the difficulties come, we get under God's word. That's what we're called to do, and that's what we see this early church doing. That great, um, when we understand that Jesus is greater than this, and his word speaks this to us, we get under his word. God allows all things to happen. Everything that has happened in your life has all been father-filtered. Sometimes we don't know why, but he allowed this persecution. We don't know why he did that, but he used it. And when it comes to our confusion, our sorrows, our suffering, he can and he will use it for his glory if we allow him, if we trust him. You can't stand, um, can't always understand God's ways, but you must understand his heart, and his heart is one of love and bringing beauty from the ashes. And whether it's persecution for Christ or trials of this life, God's victory is certain. And what was meant to destroy the church ended up fueling it for the next part of its mission. And the spread of God's word continued. And we see this just in a few moments, but let's fast forward this to 2015, just to um, some events just in the last month. Listen to this. Speaking of a young man, was recruited into ISIS. He fled the country after his brother was killed in fighting. Disillusioned with ISIS, but still an adherent to Islam and its teaching that Christians and Jews are unclean pigs, he went to Amman, Jordan, as he had learned that relatives there were receiving aid from Christians. Just pause there. Notice that they're not receiving aid aid from the atheist society of the world. No, it's, it's the church. It's the believers who are going in and serving and, and, and caring for people. Continue on. The Muslim whose name is withheld for security reasons went to a Christian meeting with the intention of killing the aid workers gathering there. Something went, kept him from following through on his plan though. And the next night he saw Jesus in a dream, the ministry director said. The next day he came back and said, I came to kill you, but last night I saw Jesus. And I want you to know, I want to know what you are teaching. Who is the one who held me, who held me from killing you? The director said, and he said, this young man received Christ with tears, and today he is actually helping in the church, helping out others, and we're praying for lost other uh, lots of, of such Saul's to change into Paul's. The sorrow of this ministry team leader who lost 11 of his workers, and one of them, one of them lost their children last month, has been deep, their sorrow has been. But he takes heart that their faithfulness could help change the hearts of the persecutors. They kept on praying loudly and sharing Jesus until their last breath. They did this in front of villagers as their testimony for others. He asked for prayer for surviving family members and, and for himself. These things have been very hard on me, he said. 
What wrong did these people do to deserve to die? A little confused, were they? Yeah. Sorrowing? Yeah. Suffering? You bet. But listen to this. What is happening is more and more people are being saved. The ministry is growing and growing. In the past, we used to pray to have one person from Muslim from a Muslim background, come to know the Lord. Now there are so many, we can barely handle it. All the work that there is among these people. God is using it, just as he used it here, as, as we're going to continue to see in the book of Acts. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, one of the writers, he wrote that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We see this in in the life of Stephen. And so next, we must understand that Jesus is the message that we proclaim. That our worst days lead to better days that bring forth the best of days when Jesus is the message that we proclaim. And it says, and all were scattered. This is in verse 1, and then we're going to look at verse 4. And all were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So the church now, as we see, they're all broken up. Remember we were talking about this awesome church into the thousands of people in Jerusalem that were gathering, that were gathering in the temple, were meeting in homes. I mean, they set up the ministry program to feed widows. I mean, no one was in need. Someone had a need. Someone was there to care for. It was just like this wonderful kumbaya kind of camp moment that was just, this is so awesome. And then all of a sudden this persecution came and it says they were all scattered. The holy huddle got broken up in Jerusalem. And you see, folks, this is a truth, a reality we have to be so aware of as the church, especially here in North America. One of the greatest dangers to the church exists right within its own walls. Right within this group of people, it is so easy to become comfortable in church and to become complacent in our faith. We can enjoy the fellowship, the teaching, the worship. We love the fellowship that we can enjoy, friendships, and we get together and do social things, which is good and and wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. And yet we can, can lose sight of the mission that we've been called to be a part of. Rather than living out the commands of Jesus to go into our city, go into our region, to go into all the world and make disciples, as Jesus told us in Matthew 28, as he told uh, the group of disciples and followers of Jesus Christ in, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he said, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the, worth, ends of the earth, they were becoming pretty comfortable, pretty complacent, it would seem, as they just stayed. They, they were like, well, we, we've done part one of this, and boy, it sure is good. Why should we even move out from here? When we stray from the mission that God has given to us to make disciples of all, of all nations, We're starting to neglect the word of God. We're starting to ignore it. And last time I checked, that's disobedience. And when we start to become disobedient in one area, we start to justify the activity in another area. And so we soften ourselves and our thinking in in this area because we don't want to think about it and we get busy in the things that we like to do and we lose sight of the mission. Charles Spurgeon, early on, he wrote that the church right from the beginning was to be aggressive. To be aggressive in what we are called to do. We were reminded in, at Harvest University, as, as, uh, and, and I think that this gave our crew a little bit of, of understanding and a little bit of, oh, 
But as they've planted over 100 churches just in the last uh, 15 years or so, and, and there's so many more that are, are um, going to be happening if God allows, they said the first two years is like a sprint. And you run hard. And then after that, it's a marathon when it comes to starting, planting a new church. And sadly, many Christians have turned the church into a spectator sport. Just something we come to, we want. Um, that's not what the church is called to be. Evangelism, um, you know, sharing my faith. Well, that's for people who have the gift. There are some people, and there are. There are some people who are so gifted when it comes to sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. As we're going to see, it's for all of us to be proclaiming the truth of Christ. The Christian church was designed to be aggressive right from the start. We weren't supposed to remain stationary. To advance the church, the onward mission is the call that the, Jesus gave Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And because of people following through on that mission, you and I are here today. The church has expanded throughout the world because of faithful men and women who sacrificed. Harvest Bible Chapel, we are a church planting church. And I think this was rather cute, this picture of a couple in our church who live in West Kelowna. Notice what it says there, Harvest West Kelowna. You know, who knows, right? You know, the day comes. Plant a church in West Kelowna, Vernon, Penticton, that big city of Vancouver. Get, get, it, get going over in there. Who knows? We trust God for these kind of things. It's in God's hands. But we are not to remain stagnant as churches as believers in Christ, we are to keep moving. And it says in verse 1 and 4, see the word twice, it says that the church was scattered, that they were scattered out. And the word scattered in Greek has two different meanings. The, the second meaning, or, or the first meaning, that isn't the one that is mentioned here, but in Greek there are two meanings to it. And the first one is how you go and you scatter ashes. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that or, or you've, you've gone and you've cleaned out the, the, the vacuum cleaner kind of filter outside and, and you go and you bang it out and it goes all over the place. A little falls on the ground and is soon gone, but it, it spreads out. That is the scattering of the dust, of the ashes. But that's not what it is here. The scattering that they're talking here is the same kind of scattering as it is when a farmer goes to plant the crop. And he scatters the seed and he covers over the seed and he waits for that seed to grow. And so, so the scattering that the church was, they weren't, you know, like scattering, you know, oh no, persecution coming, duck, hide, you know, like, hey, I've got Aunt Sue over living over, you know, 30 kilometers away. She has a basement suite. We can go live there and we won't be discovered or anything like that. No, they're out there and they are planting seeds of the gospel wherever they go. This is what they were doing, filled with, with this Holy Spirit boldness. That comes from Jesus Christ. Notice something else. The movement of the church would come as a result of ordinary servants. This was Philip. Philip wasn't a trained apostle. He wasn't sitting at the disciples' feet. He wasn't there the night of the Last Supper. He wasn't the, in the in crowd, so to speak, the one trained up for this. He was ordinary Philip who was chosen to, to serve and wait on tables that we read about in Acts chapter 6. He was chosen along with Stephen to, to serve in, in, in a humble position. And yet he went and he was scattered into Samaria and he preaches the gospel and people heard it. Stephen proclaimed Christ. He is our message that we proclaim. And it says in verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. 
For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. You see, Stephen was proclaiming Christ. It wasn't his power, his strength. It's Christ in him. It's Christ that has given me the strength and the power. Christ has the power to save you, he proclaimed. Christ alone has the power to forgive your sins and to make you right with God. Christ alone has the power to heal our bodies now and at the resurrection. Philip was casting out demons and and healed many who were paralyzed and lame, all in the name of Jesus. This wasn't for Philip's fame. It was for Jesus' renown. Philip was so full of Jesus, it was spilling out about him. He couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And his power came from the heart of love that he had for Jesus Christ. And there was a revival on his hands because of it. Your worst days lead to better days that lead to the best of days. When we understand that Jesus is greater than our confusion, our sorrow, our suffering. When Jesus is the message that we are living in our lives and we are proclaiming. And then finally, when Jesus is the source of our joy. It says there was much joy in that city. Verse 8. Encourage you to underline the word much joy. That word much makes that word joy have life. That word much means exceedingly cup overflow, unexplained kind of joy. Yes, people were saved, they were healed, they were set free. Bondages were broken from the devil, but something greater was taking place. There was incredible racial reconciliation that took place. Philip, understandably, as we know, was a Jew from Jerusalem. Samarians, we see it in in the life of Jesus, see it in the story of the Good Samaritan, and even here, Samaritans were hated. Jews and Samaritans could not stand each other. There was years, centuries of racial tension that started in 725 BC when some Jewish tribes went and intermarried with the Assyrians. And because of that, they were half-breed mongrels, they were referred to as. They hated each other. They despised one another. In fact, the the Jewish people in Jerusalem, you know how... um, we pray certain phrases in our prayer, and, and, and oftentimes we close off our prayer, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the Jewish people, how they would often include this certain phrase in their prayer as they were praying to their Yahweh God, they would pray, and Lord, please do not remember the Samaritans on the day of the resurrection, amen. They didn't want to spend eternity with them. They didn't want them to be loved by God. They hated each other. They called themselves Jewish pigs. The Samaritans hated them back. And, and, and I mean, it was just back and forth. It was just an awful kind of thing. And yet, Philip goes and he proclaims Christ. And there's reconciliation. You see, worst days lead to the better days which bring forth the best of days when Jesus is the source of our joy. And Jesus was bringing these people together. There was turmoil. There was suffering. Saul was ravaging the church. The gospel's being proclaimed. People are being healed. There's danger from all over coming their way. And yet they are filled with exceeding joy. And when we know Christ in that way and we are 
on mission for him. There is a joy no matter what is happening in our lives. This here, what we are experiencing here, is a little taste of heaven. To see the unity, to see the love, to see the joy that is taking place. And yet our world is so fallen and broken, but it gives us something to look forward to. I wonder, is there much joy in our city because of our presence here? Is there much joy in your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, because you are there? Are you someone who is living and proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ? Are you so full of Jesus that it's leaking out of you and you, you're sharing, you're loving, you're caring for others? Who are you heralding the message to? We see the words here that, that are used to describe the, the preaching, that they all went out preaching. They all went out proclaiming the word. That means the preaching is evangelism. It's the word that just going and, and, and it's not standing on, on street corners. That's not what everyone is necessarily called to do. But we're all still to preach the word. We're to share Jesus, evangelize with others around us. We see Philip was preaching, but he was also, the word there, proclaiming the word, heralding the word. He would stand up in, in the temples or in the synagogues or he would stand up on the street corners and he would proclaim Christ. He would herald Christ. That was Something that he was called to do, but we are all to preach Christ. Who are you preaching? Who are you heralding the message to? Who are you ministering to in the power of the Holy Spirit? Who's the Samaritan in your life? Who's that Saul in your life, that most impossible person that you would see never, ever, ever in a million years? I mean, they're going straight to hell as far as you're concerned. Who's that Saul in your life? What's her name? What's his name? What's that family name? Who's the Samaritan, that person who just drives you crazy? A person who has caused you hurt over the years? Will you show and share the love of Christ to them? You do, and there's joy. You leave the results to him, but there's joy. Our worst days can lead to better days, which one day in heaven will lead to the best of days. Stephen's untimely and cruel death is a reminder of how the gospel spreads even through tragedy. When we lay our lives down in surrender, when we die to ourselves, it can at times feel like a death. But he brings life, new life out of that, and the gospel spreads. Whatever it is that you're facing today, maybe you are in that worst day scenario. Get under God's word. Have brothers and sisters praying with you, standing with you. Heart resurgence is going to be a great way for us to be able to walk together in community. Encourage you to be reading the emails on that as well as to, to, to sign up for that. You see, we need one another. We have the word, but we need one another to walk with us. And that is the beauty of the body of Christ. Are you heralding the message of Jesus? Is there joy in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school? Because of the message of Jesus that you are desiring to live. Not perfectly, but progressively. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now and we just thank you for what ended up happening. How you bring 
joy out of sorrow. Thank you for the examples and the stories that are in this room here right now. Where we've already seen, we can look in the back mirror, back mirror and we see, God, you were faithful when we were so devastated. We were devastated by illness, disease, accident, betrayal. And yet we see the new life that comes when at times we're not even, we're just holding on. We don't even feel like we're that faithful, but we're holding on. And you bring joy. You bring a new beginning. You bring new hope. I I love those stories. And may we share those with people. May we be quick to share the stories of, of how you have been so faithful through life's most difficult times in our lives. Lord, I pray that even now, as some are in their worst days even right now, and they, it seems like there's no hope, Father, I pray I, that each one of us would realize there is hope in Jesus, that these worst days can lead to better days, that ultimately one day will lead to the best of days when we see you face to face, when you say to us, welcome into the joy of your rest, and the party begins. Until then, Father, may we be faithful. Faithful in our mission, as a calling, as a church, as individuals, as families, wherever you have placed us. Today, now, we are the church gathered. And as we worship you and lift your name high in this final song, Jesus, I pray that you would, by your spirit, as we are calling out to you, empower and fill us. And then to be the church scattered this week, we would be on fire for you. We'd be inviting people into our lives, into our homes, into our church, and inviting them to check out the claims of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done in our lives, and that they can know this Jesus. Transform us, change us, we pray, for your name and for your glory. We thank you that we do not do this on, the own, on our own. We call out to you now in our worship and in our prayer. Let's stand together as a declaration and a prayer here this morning.